Um, as uh, Barnhouse said, that when your Bible falls on the ground, it should automatically open to Romans chapter 8. But we've been here so long, it'll do it now, just for pure wear and tear. Tonight we're going to pick up in verse 31. Let's pray, Lord. Speak to us tonight, again bountifully from your word. Encourage us, Lord, to know you and to know your love for us this evening and that we could rest in that love and that goodness of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we were talking about the foreknowledge of God and that how he has predestined us to be conformed in the image of his Son that as Christ was the firstborn of the preeminent one to go before us, that we would be able to one day walk and talk as Christ. Jesus said, For I always do the things that please him. Oh, Lord, what a, what a statement I would love to make. For I always do the things that please him. I know that's not true, <laughs> so I can't say it. Or I look at 1 Corinthians 13, it says love, and there it goes into all the things that love is. And I look at my life going, oh man, I'm not there. But I know as Christ walked in love, so now that his spirit lives in me, I too could walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So now we can also walk in that same love. It is definitely a possibility. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. It's emphatic. In spirit, soul, and body. Faithful is he who called you, and he will bring it to pass. God is at work doing it. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, For this is the will of God, that you would know your sanctification that you would know how to possess your vessel in honor and in sanctification, not in the lust of your flesh as those who don't know God. And so there is the clear word from the Lord that he is heading us in to his image. But we also need to be a part of that recognizing that God is at work doing this work and we can slow it down, we can hinder that work by our lust, by giving our life after the things of the flesh rather than after the things of the Spirit. And so that's why it's so very important that we walk after the Spirit, that we have that life after the Spirit. And so he's at work doing that, and it says that he predestined us, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, just as if you'd never sinned, and these he also glorified, which is our status in heaven. So he's told us up front, he's already seen us in heaven, seated together in heavenly places with him, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. He's already seen it. So be comforted. If you're going, but Brian, man, I'm really struggling this last week. He's already seen you there. Now, Peter adds that we should add to our faith diligence. And then he gives a list of things, and he says, if these are yours and abound, you'll never be unfruitful. And then he goes on to say, to make your calling and election sure. Why? So an abundant entry will be given unto you in that day. There are some, Jude says, that are going to be snatched out of fire, hating even the garments that they wear. In 1 John 2, 
uh, verse 28, it says that there's going to be some that will shrink away in shame at his appearing. And so there's going to be various statuses of how people are going to react when they do see Christ face to face. And so we in no way want to use this, as so many do, as an opportunity for licentiousness or an opportunity to, for their flesh to say, well, he's already seen me in heaven, so it doesn't matter how I live. Well, he saw you in heaven, but he didn't say what your status was going to be there. He didn't say what your rewards were going to be there. And he also didn't say it would be abundant entry when you do enter there. You may end up with just a white robe of righteousness. So those of you who are pressing on in the Lord, this is a great joy to know that, yes, he's seen me there. Some of you who are struggling right now, he's seen you there. And so we can say, yes, the Lord is at work in me. He's moving me forward in this process of sanctification. And I know that I am one day going to be in heaven with him. And what a great joy that is. So in verse 31, as he stops for a minute, going back to the first eight chapters of what Paul has written from the letter at four time, talking about how Christ has saved us, not by our works, but by his grace. How the Holy Spirit now is at helping us in our weaknesses and how the Holy Spirit is uh, living in us and uh, our spirit bears witness with God's spirit and all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose and then knowing that God has seen all these things in advance what are we going to say to these things? If God is for us who can be against us? So the question is if God is for us who is big enough, strong enough powerful enough against us to make a difference and he goes on to say he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things verse 33 who shall bring a charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is he that condemns it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us so the argument now is from the lesser to the greater or from the greater to the lesser excuse me if uh, God already died for us on a cross if he already paid the penalty of our sin if he already was tortured for us why would he withhold anything now that would be like a guy coming up and giving you a check for $10 million. And then you say, hey, do you mind giving me bus fare to go cash this check? And he freaks out going, I can't give you bus fare, you know. It's like, believe me, if he gave you a check for $10 million, he would also give you bus fare to get to the bank. If Christ did not stop short in living on this earth for 33 years, a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. If he did not stop short after living with man and how they brutalized him and how they, even his own apostles, fled from him. There's many opportunities that Christ could have just said, I'm through, I'm done, this is it, it's over. My patience has run thin. I, I don't like you guys. I thought I loved you enough to die. I don't even like you. Um, I'm out of here. I'm going to go back to my father. I mean, he could have done that at any point in time. There's plenty of opportunities. I know he had those thoughts and feelings in human flesh. 
He was tempted in all points as we are, so he had those thoughts and feelings. But he went all the way through it. So now would he stop short? The answer is, of course not. So now is he going to stop short from giving us anything that we need to know? Anything that Christ is to give us from this side of the cross is lesser than what he gave on the cross. So if on the cross, when nails were driven through his hand, when a crown of thorns was upon his head, when he was being crucified there, and he was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Believe me now, after the cross, his heart is the same as he intercedes for us. Father, forgive them. Definitely, there is nothing that we could do that would be, that God, we would need from God now more than he's already given. He's already given more than he could ever give again. God gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, gave his life on the cross. There is nothing that Christ will do for you, this side of the cross, that was, is, could be greater than what he already did on the cross. So therefore, if he didn't stop short on the cross, he's not going to stop short for you now. Now, interesting, in verse 26 and 27, he tells us that the Spirit of God is for us. The Spirit of God is there to help us in our weakness. The Spirit of God is there making intercession for us. The Spirit of God is praying according to the perfect will of God, helping us uh, know that mind of God. Now look at verse 32. The Father is for us. He delivered up His Son. And now in verse 34, we see that Christ is for us. That He's at the right hand of God making intercession. That He died and rose again. All three persons of the Trinity are for you. God Almighty, that God awesome in three persons, that blessed Trinity, He is for you. Now, this passage of Scripture from 31 to 39 is to bring it down to a personal level. We need to stop at some point and say, okay, theologically, God is a God of love, and since God is a God of love, therefore it is logically conclusive that since he died on a cross, he would there, you know. At some point, we've got to stop with the, the intellectual theology and just say, hold it. I think these verses are saying, God likes me. Not only does God like me, but God loves me. Sometimes we think that God sort of just checkmated. He has to. You know, it's just moms, you know, get sick of those kids, but they still have to go home with them. You know, they still got to pick them up from school because, you know, your mom, you have to, you know. And we can get those thoughts towards God going, well, God's stuck with me. He really doesn't like me. He really doesn't want me. But, you know, a friend invited me to church and I got saved and now God's stuck with me and, and uh, he's just going to have to deal with it. And we can get these kind of thoughts in our head that God's up there going, oh, Paul, oh, I love you. Oh, Isaiah. Oh, Brian, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah, come on in. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right over there. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Somebody will tell you. Go, go, go. Oh, Elijah. Oh, you know. That's not the way it is. <laughs> God loves us. And he wants the absolute best for us. That's why he says, keep my commandments. 
not because he can keep us under and he can control us and he can get out of us produce that he normally wouldn't get out. No. He loves you. And he wants the best possible life for you. So he says, love your enemies. Not to suppress you, not to try to force you to be something that you're not, but you are that. God's Spirit lives in you. Walk after the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. We need to encourage one another why it's called day, that the deceitfulness of sin doesn't take an advantage of us. Let us walk after God as dear children, imitating Him, following Him. He loves us. He wants all that we have. I tell my kids, eat your vegetables. They don't like the vegetables. Now, I've made my kids from a very small age eat vegetables, and all of them, the time they were six or seven, they love vegetables. Tonight, we had three different types of vegetables. It was sort of heat up to leftover night, you know? And my kids are fighting over spinach. I want some, don't eat it all, you know? I want some, you know? And, and green beans, and it's, it's good for them. But we made them eat the vegetables because we wanted them to have the best advantage possible. I have a few of my friends now who haven't ate vegetables, and, and boy, talking about the internal problems, thyroid problems, and potassium level problems, and digestive problems, and, and man, they have gallstones, and all kinds of different things because they didn't get those nutrients from the vegetables. In the same way, God is saying, I want you to operate the best you can operate in the spiritual man. I want you to be strengthened in that spiritual man. I want you to be the height, the width, the depth, the length, to have all of the love that you can have. I want you to be so empowered in that spiritual man. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's not saying, let's see, I know you're a big screw-up. Give this one a try. Try this commandment. We can often get that concept. But every commandment, every teaching, every principle, whether it's in God's nature or whether it's instruction from the Word, every bit of it is that we would grow in Christ and and be able to be more spiritual, to be able to be more strengthened, to be able to experience more of the goodness and the love in a fruitful life. Now, in the midst of the instruction. And when we come short in the instruction, which we always do, nobody has ever kept the commandments perfectly. No one's ever followed God perfectly. And when we come short, we can often say, is God disappointed? Yes, he is disappointed. Why? Because he wanted you to be better than you are? No, because he knows that you could experience more than you're experiencing. He knows it can be better in your marriage. It could be better in that relationship with your children. It could be better in whatever area in your life, time, energy, finances, work. You can go right on down the line. God knows it could be better if you would do it this way. The way I've instructed you out of the word, which is a byproduct of my nature and the way I am. He is disappointed. Does that mean he's depressed? No. Does that mean he's shocked? No. Does that mean he's overwhelmed? No. It just simply means he's saying, I'd like to be able to say, is, you know, it's okay, live and let live. Be happy, you know. 
God doesn't say those things. When they were sleeping in the garden, he came and he woke them up and he said, why are you sleeping? Get up, that you fall not into temptation. Pray with me. He comes back a second time and he wakes him up again. He says, can you not pray only an hour with me? Get up, pray, lest you fall into temptation. And he comes back the third time and he says, you're still sleeping. It's too late. Get up. The accuser's here. Christ is telling us, get up. Now, at that point, we could say, oh man, I fell asleep when I should have been praying. Oh, Jesus hates my guts now, you know. He really just wishes that he never chose me as an apostle. Oh, I know that, you know, he just doesn't ever want to look at me again. I don't know how I could look at him again. No, that's nonsense. That's absolutely nonsense. And we've got to be careful never to attribute to Christ any of those thoughts and feelings that fallen man has. God is perfect in love. God is disappointed because he wants you to have all that you can have. He wants you to experience all that you can experience. In any way, shape, or form, does that diminish of his love? No. Does that diminish of his plan for your life? No. The gifts and the calling of God, we're going to find out in Romans 11, is irrevocable. He is going to take and continue to work his best plan that he can possibly work into your life to the degree that he can work it. This week, we're going to be looking on Sunday morning, Sunday night, at Joshua and how he didn't pray and seek the Lord and he made a treaty with the Gibeonites when they, they lied to him, deceiving, saying they were outside the promised land when they're inside the promised land. And the Gibeonites were just over the hill. And they said, oh man, you tricked us. And he said, yeah, but you made a treaty with us and according to your God, you have to keep your vow. And it ended up that God instructed him to have the Gibeonites cut the wood for the altar of the sacrifice. And they became woodsmen for the children of Israel. So God wanted them out. God wanted them destroyed. God didn't want them anywhere near his children. But the children didn't wait on the Lord. They didn't hear from God. They made a very bad mistake. These people now will be in the land. They made a treaty when, when Moses clearly said in Exodus, don't ever do that. What did God do? He turned it around for good. And he said, okay, they'll be woodsmen. However, if you read on in to the very next book, Judges, the Gibeonites did to pollute the children of Israel with their wayward ways and cause the children of Israel to be taken captive. And they were taken uh, captive by the Philistines for a season. God wanted to spare them that season. But they sowed, they ended up reaping to that season down the road. But in the immediate, God in his love and in his grace jumped in and did all he could. And for a number of years, they were the woodsmen for the children of Israel. In the same way, to the degree that you've arrived, God is going to work in you and work with you in that plan he has for your life. Never, ever is there any condemnation. Never, ever is there any charge to the elect. We tell people in premarital counseling, don't ever in anger, don't ever in frustration, don't ever in the heat of the argument say, oh, I wish I'd never married you. I'd divorce you. 
don't ever say those words. I know you may get angry. I know you may get frustrated. I know you may feel all of those things. Don't let that ever come out of your mouth. That pierces so deeply in the heart. It's such a wound in the heart of your spouse. It's almost unhealable. The lack of trust. That whole concept of this person may leave me any day. You know, we better start, you know, you have your checking account, I'll have my checking account, you know. I'm going to start putting, when we go buy a couch, I'll put it in my name, let you put the chair in your name, you know. And it, it, it underlines this whole thing of taking all the security away. That would be like telling the kid, if you act up again, that's it. I'm kicking you out of my house and, you know, you can go live down at the boys club or whatever, you know. Here's the four-year-old kid going, ha, ha, you know. It's not a good way to handle it. To give them, growing up, that lack of security, that feeling of, my goodness, these guys are going to throw me away. And so we don't do things like that. In the same way, we've got to be careful to think God would ever do anything like that. He never would. Now, who is doing these kind of things? Who is trying to get these kind of thoughts in our head? Satan is trying to get these kind of thoughts in our head. In Revelations 12:10, turn over there if you would. In Revelation 12:10. It says, "Then I heard a loud voice saying, in heaven now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God how often day and night has been cast down a neat story make a note and look at it later in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 through 7 and there the high priest is standing in the spiritual realm, in this vision that Zechariah is having. And there he's standing before God, and there's Satan accusing him. The high priestly garment was torn, and according to the law, the high priest was to be stoned if anything happened to the garment. Any dirt, any soil, especially any ripping would happen, he would immediately be stoned to death. And not only was his garment soiled and torn, but the priestly turban was gone. It wasn't even on his head. And there Satan is saying, look, the goods are right there in front of you, God. Now condemn him. And God instructed that a new robe be brought to him, that a new turban be placed on his head. And then he said, okay, now, what's your point, Satan? He looks great to me. That's our Lord. His mercies are new every morning. The righteous man does fall. Every day we fall. We get ripped spiritually. We get bruised. We get dirty spiritually. But daily the Lord is there to continually, as it says there in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that he will present to his church without spot or blemish or any such thing. How? By the washing of the water of the word. Remember there when Jesus was washing the apostles' feet. 
And Peter said, huh, you're not going to wash my feet. And he said, if I don't wash you, you can have no part with me. And he said, well, then, Lord, wash all of me. He goes, no, you're already bathed. All you need is your feet. Wash, for you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. But not all of you referred in Judas Iscariot. So it was a whole spiritual act there of him saying, you've already been clean through the word I've spoken to you. You've believed in me as the Christ, as the son of the living God. You're already clean, but your feet have gotten dirty. You've stumbled, you've fallen, you've sinned. And there's Christ in that perfect picture, washing it with the water of the word, cleansing us, that we'll be that perfect bride, ready, prepared for that day. So we need to have faith in his love, faith in his acceptance, faith in his goodness. I am clean right now. Why? Because Christ has washed me in his word. I am going to make it. Why? Because Christ is continually interceding for me. It says in Hebrews 7.25, He ever lives to make intercessions for us. So the righteous man falls seven times, he gets up seven times. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so there is no charge. There is no condemnation. And in verse 35, there is no separation. Verse 33, there's no charge. Verse 34, there's no condemnation. Verse 35, there's no separation from the love of Christ. God is hanging on to us. He is making intercession for us. And nothing is going to stop that process. Let's look at a couple of passages. Turn over to, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now listen to verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What is God's attitude here for us? That we would understand our relationship with Him, that we would hold on to that confidence, that we would know there's no condemnation, there's no charge, there's no separation, that we've got to come boldly to that throne of grace and say, God, you have brought me this far. I know you're going to take me the rest of the way, but right now I need a special mercy. I need a special help. I have need of more grace than, than the norm. Give me help to overcome this sin. Help me, give me grace to overcome this weakness. Lord, my flesh is screaming and I don't know how to get it under control. Lord, help me. God, I am having a problem with lust or anger or covetousness. I'm having a hard time trusting in you. I'm having a hard time waiting upon you. God, I need your help at this time. God is there. And oh, that we would have such confidence and learn our position in Christ. That we just come right in, that we have this incredible access into this grace and where we now stand, he says in Romans chapter 5. 
just like my kids, just come pounding into the office, you know. If I'm down in the office, people will come in and knock real softly. Brian, you know, you, I don't want to bother you. I'll just take a minute, you know. You got a minute? Come on in, come on in. Okay, just be, I won't sit down. I'll just take a minute, you know. My kids just, boom, you know, it's like an elephant. Come in, start looking through all the drawers. Hey, where's the candy, Dad? You got a dollar, I want a Coke, you know. And it's like, son, I'm on the phone. Get off the phone. I need something, you know. And it's... That's kids. They know their position with me. They know the relationship. They have no fear. They have that boldness to come in to my throne room. I'm working on that one too. I'm going to the bathroom. Get out. I'm on the come boldly into the throne room. Well, First John, better end with that analogy. First John, chapter one. In First John, chapter one. Or excuse me, chapter, uh, yeah, 1 verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, or not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin, but, or and, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Everyone. Yep. I was just saying everyone. I wouldn't say repeat it, but boy. I was going, what's going on here? <laughs> that lack of communication, okay. <laughs> this is one of those... You know, I, I know if we could figure out who said the whole world, it would be a right brain, left brain thing, you know? All the mathematical people or all the artistic people that have heard it one way and the other half heard it the other way. But Christ died for everyone. <laughs> Christ died for everyone. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh, that's funny. Okay, I'm going to recover, though. We're going to move on. And so we have an advocate. God is for us. God is for us. Everyone. God is for us. And it's funny, as I, I was going to say tonight, turn and say to somebody, God is for us. But now it sort of uh, takes it away. God is for us, and we've got to remember that. And we do struggle, we do fall, we do come short. And, and our job as brothers, the Bible says, is to provoke one another to love and good works. The word there, provoke, is exactly what it is in the English. To almost irritate each other. To love and good works. In other words, to, to constantly encourage in a sort of a forceful way. 
to say, come on, you can do it. You, it can be done. I, I was um, talking to up at the high school camp, and I had said to the guys, I said, you know, you could read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. You read the entire Bible every three and a half months. I had one of the youth pastors come up and says, you know, that, that could really put some kids in condemnation The thought they need to read 10 chapters a day for every, uh, to read the Bible every three and a half months. And I, and I said, well, you know, I, it was definitely a challenge. I didn't say to go to heaven, you have to read 10 chapters a, a day. I didn't say that. But I said, George Mueller, as a young man, started that. And uh, I said, you know, tell your kids whatever you want to tell your kids when you get back home. But I, I think that's still a good encouragement. And since then, I've had a number of our youth say, man, I've been doing it, and boy, it's just changing my life. I'm really seeing the Bible in big picture, you know, when you read the whole book of Genesis, 50 chapters, you know, in one week, you know, and it's like, and I'm seeing some of these kids really get a grasp on the Word. Now, I know that's the grace of God, that's, and that, but that youthful zeal, that youthful desire, and I think it's great if we provoke one another to love and good works. And, uh, but God is for us. If we do great, God is for us. If we fail, God is for us. If we are walking in that perfect obedience, God is for us. If we are walking in disobedience, God is for us. God's love is always for us. There's no condemnation. There's no charge. There's no separation. He's there to give us freely all things that he desires for you to have. The Bible says he withholds nothing from the righteous. God withholds no good thing for the righteous, it says in the Psalms. God will withhold no good thing for you. He wants you to have all those blessings that are his. Some of them, as we've looked at, um, of the blessings in this life, are hinged upon something that we have to do. If you meditate in his word, there's a special blessing of prosperity that God will add to your life. If you pray, then you can receive that answer to prayer. If you don't pray, then you don't receive answer to prayer, it says in James. So there are some conditions on certain promises, but God wants you to have them. And you say, Lord, you know, I, I need help. And he may give you that encouragement by the Holy Spirit to pray. But we don't pray as we ought, but his Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Why? That we can get answers to prayer. You may come and say, Lord, I need strength and my marriage needs to be better. He may come to you and say, hey, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Oh, I need more love. Okay, my Holy Spirit will strengthen you to love more, you see. It may come back to you in a condition, okay? I do want to heal your marriage, but you need to submit to your husband as unto Christ. Well, I don't want to do that. Then that healing won't take place. But I want the healing. Okay, then submit unto your husband. As, as you would unto me. So I can't submit unto him. My heart's too hard. Or I'm too bitter already. Okay, I'll soften your heart. I'll work with your heart. I can do that. If you're willing to change your mind, he is willing to change your heart. But until you're willing to change your mind, he can't change your heart. He won't do that. But again, he is at work. He's always for you to help you and to strengthen you. And it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Now, in verse 35, he's going to give one second, one section of events that could separate us from the love of God that won't. And then in verse 7, 37 to 39, he's going to give us another section of events that won't separate us from the love of God. But the first one is just 
the types of difficulties that come on us on planet Earth. Some are because you're a Christian, some because it's just life on planet Earth. Will tribulation or distress or persecution separate you from God's love? During that time that we see Paul being persecuted or Stephen being persecuted, there as Stephen was being stoned to death, there he looked up and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Or standing, actually, at the right hand of the Father. And then he said, just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Just like Jesus said on the cross. But during that moment, the love of God was there during that trial, during that time of distress, during that time of persecution. Paul, there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I was pushed above measure, beyond strength, despairing of life itself. But God took me through that, that I would learn not to trust in myself, but in him. He was there in that incredible, distressing time. God is always there for you. His love never changes. Now, what happens from time to time is we think, man, I'm going through a hard time. Maybe it's because of that sin I did last year. That's why I'm going through this hard time. It could be. But I think God would clearly let you know. I know that I have had clear consequences to my sin, but I never doubted it. It was God showing me clearly it was a consequence to my sin or a consequence to my lack of obedience in a particular area of my life. And he's letting me know there's this hurt, there's this emptiness, there's this gap, there's this difficulty that you're going through clearly because of the repercussions of this. And there was no doubt in my mind. God clearly spoke to that in my heart. There's been other times I'm going through it going, you know, trying to search through the banks. You know, what? why would this be happening? And there was nothing, but I just sort of like to make it up. You know, God's punishing me because, uh, you know. Could you imagine me going in the middle of the night, three in the morning, and spanking my kids and then running out, you know, and shutting the door behind me? And they're in the bed and they're screaming, crying, going, Ah, I'm hurting, you know. That would be ridiculous. What good would it have done to spank them? What good would it have done to discipline them? The thing is, you tell them, this is what you've done. You explain to them that uh, the consequences and the hardships of life that can come from such action, from such an attitude, from such a direction in life. Give them scriptures. Give them the attitude or the direction they should have gone. And then let them know that the Bible instructs you to do it. To spank them. And hopefully that through the pain of their rear end, it'll somehow get into their heart. And uh, that's God's way of doing it. And that's why you're doing it. And so again, is God going to punish us and not let us know why? I don't think so. I think that's ridiculous. I think there's been a warning and a warning and a warning and then all of a sudden, this cataclysmic event happens in your life and you know why. God was warning you each and every step of the way. But let's be careful to start thinking that well, this tribulation, this distress, this persecution is happening because, not necessarily, but even if it is, God is there. His loving hand is there. Even if you're, you know, I know with my kids, after I spank them, they always give me a big giant hug, you know, and just sort of cry in my arms. They're 
far more drawn to me during that time. And they usually want to come and sit on my lap and read a book or, you know, they want, they want me. They don't want to let go of me uh, for quite, it draws them nearer, not farther away. And so in the same way, even if it is discipline, all the more, it's going to draw us all the more near to God, not farther away from God. So even during that time, don't think it's uh, the love of God is not there. And then we see famine. Paul went through famine. We read in Acts chapter 11. Or nakedness. Uh, Paul had been shipwrecked uh, three different times. Also, he had been in poverty. And he said in 1 Corinthians, he was poorly clothed. And also in peril. Uh, he was peril of robbers, he said. And perils in the country and perils in the city. Perils from countrymen. Perils from strangers. Just people screaming at him. People throwing rocks at him. People just, just the emotional suppress oppression against him because of who he was and for what he stood for and also sword physically trying to be killed god was there some of you are afraid still about the y2k the year 2000 my computer is not going to quit working and you know all the government's going to fall apart and there's not going to be enough food or whatever again I, god has not showed me to store, store up any food and if he does, I'll let you know. I've got six kids, so we always have, or i got four kids, there's six of us in our family. And it seems like six kids, I only have four kids. But we always have a lot of stuff stored up just to keep the troops fed. But here it is again. God's love's going to be there, even if there is a famine. Even if there's nakedness or peril. Well, you know, what happened over in the L.A. riots are going to happen in the cities when there's no food. People are going to go crazy. Well, there it is, sword. God's going to be there for us during that time too. We have nothing to fear. There's no reason we should fear. God is for us. God loves us. And remember, Jesus said, if I take care of a little sparrow, aren't I not going to take care of you? If I make sure that the lilies have beautiful color, am I not going to take clothe you? Oh, don't be like the world who worries about, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Don't you be that way. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And here he, Paul is saying right here, he's letting us know about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, a lack of food, nakedness, a lack of clothing, peril and sword, the oppression that people can bring because of the difficulty of society or whatever else. So as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are as counted as sheep for the slaughter. Folks, that's us. We are called, Jesus said, I now release you as sheep among wolves. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. We are in a world full of wolves and we're sheep. Have you ever noticed, have you ever seen a, a sheep fight, you know, like a cock fight? I've trained this sheep, you know. He's going to go after, you know. There is no sheep fights. I mean, that's the point. They, they can't fight. They just, they have no way of defending themselves whatsoever. We also, as David said in the Psalms 14, 4, they eat, they eat my people up like bread. Paul in Acts 14, 22, he went through and encouraged the church. He said, through many trials and tribulations, we must go through before we enter the kingdom of God. Paul gives a long list in 2 Corinthians 11 of the difficulty 
that he went through in his lifetime. Hebrews chapter 11, it says they wandered around in dens and holes in the ground, in sheepskin and, clo- and goatskin, being persecuted to the world was not worthy of. Paul said to those who live godly in this life, they will be persecuted. That's who we are. We're sheep. We are people that are not aggressively trying to protect ourselves. We're not out trying to get ahead in this world. We, God did not put us as born-again Christians in a place to have the worldly victory of this world. We're not going to be the reigning conquerors here. Lambos, you know. <laughs> We're not going to be the reigning conquerors here and the reigning conquerors in heaven. It's not the way it's going to be. Turn over, if you would, to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 18. Actually, go back to verse 13. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For God's sake, submit yourself to every ordinance of man, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Boy, it's an important concept, verse 19. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, for you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now turned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Then he says, likewise, you wives. So take that example of how Christ went to the cross, and that's how wives are to submit to their husbands. And of course, all of us are to submit to one another in that same way. This is the, this is the concept of a sheep. The concept of the sheep, of just keeping our eyes upon Christ, seeing the example that he set, and seeing Jesus, as it says in Isaiah 53, as a sheep who went to the shear as was dumb, so Christ went. And it's this concept. Was he righteously judged? No, he was completely innocent. Did he claim to be the king who was going to conquer Rome? No. Did he say he was going to physically destroy the temple? No, he was referring to his body. They took all these things out of context. And when they started persecuting him, beating him, he said not a word. And because he said not a word, and because he took it, even though he was wrongfully treated, 
what happened. By his stripes, we were healed. In the same way, Paul says to the Colossian church, when I come unto you, I will bear in my body that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. The fact of the matter is, until the world sees Christ in you, we're not going to be the witness we need to be. And we just got to get into our head this concept, this is what a Christian is. We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. As David says, for they look on us and they mock us and they eat us as bread. Jesus said, the world will hate you because it hated me. And we understand that. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> These guys were the wisest guys. They were hardest working guys. They did nothing but bless the king. But somehow the devil possessed the king to make this giant statue that everybody needed to bow down and worship. And they just said, sorry, I can't do that. And the king was furious, saying, you've got to do it. They wouldn't do it. And as a sheep to its shears were dumb, they were going off. They were thrown into that fiery furnace. And of course, in that, they didn't burn. The Lord was there with them. Daniel, when the decree came forth that nobody was to pray but to anybody but Darius, it says he went, as he always did, three times a day and opened the window and prayed. And there they saw him, and he was thrown into the lion's den. Well, those guys were saved. Not everybody in the Bible was saved. Many people went to their death because they stood firm with the Lord. Now, what's our attitude? God loves us. God has our life in his hands. And our life is not right now on this earth. Our life is spirit and will always be right relationship with God and forever to be with the Lord. Boy, if you ever get a chance to read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, incredible. I remember this one story of this gal and she was going off to be burned at the stake. And her friends were there going, how are you doing? She goes, oh, what a glorious day. Today, I'm going to be with the Lord. And she said, the fire of the stake will be to me like a feather bed. For I will awaken and see my Lord. I'll wake out of this sleep and I'll be with the Lord. Such confidence, such faith. One brother who was dying and he said, come here. They'd already blinded him. And he said, please let my fingers fill. Just the few verses there of Romans chapter 8 where it says, neither life nor death shall separate me from the love of God. And they put his fingers upon it. And he said, brothers... This morning I had breakfast with you. Tonight I will have dinner with my Lord. Such faith, such confidence. But not a freaking out going, if God loved me, I wouldn't be suffering like this, you know? If God loved me, I wouldn't be hungry. If God loved me, I wouldn't be in tribulation. I wouldn't be in persecution. I wouldn't be in famine or I wouldn't have the sword of death. No. God still loves you, even though you may pass from this life in a violent way by men who hate the Lord. This is why they hate you. That's how our Lord went. But look at the incredible fruit. Because he was a, a lamb as dumb before his shears. 
Look at the fruit. Salvation came to all of us. Now, was that one isolated event? No, it was for all of us as an example. That if we are reviled, we need to revile not in return. Just to love. To have that love of God. I remember clearly in high school, I was walking and I was talking to a friend of mine about the things of the Lord. And actually he had, was a guy had, had led to Christ and, and uh, he had hung out with some guys in his neighborhood, some horrible guys. The Dorset brothers. I came to find out later. Never knew him. It was a large high school. And I was walking along with this guy and we were talking and I was trying to encourage him. He was getting in some sin. I was sort of rebuking him a little bit and encouraging him in the Lord. And all of a sudden, the lights went out. And I was on the ground. And I saw stars, just like in the comic strip. There were stars. <laughs> and I looked up and there's this guy going, come on, man, come on. Never saw this guy before in my entire life. And he had pelted me right in the eye. And right then, I had a love that just fell upon my life. I had never experienced such a love before. And I said, what's, what's up, man? What's, what's going on with you? I was just one of the random people he picked for some reason. Well, that day, I was getting dressed for football, and he, and he came through where we were getting dressed, and one of the guys grabbed him and put him against the wall and said, Hey, Brian, is this the guy that hit you, you know? And they were all there. They were ready to jump the guy. And I said, Yeah, you know. I said, What's, what's up, you know? And he goes, Oh, you know. And the story was that his older brothers had put him up to try to be the, get a tough reputation on campus or whatever. But it ended up in time that I was able to just love that guy. And it ended, I had a counselor at the school that was a Christian. And, uh, and uh, he talked to me and, about it, and he called the other guy in, and he said, you know why he didn't hit you? And he told the guy, he goes, he's a Christian. And he told him just plainly, just like they hit Christ, and he didn't hit them back. So you hit him, and he didn't hit you back. And it was just a great testimony on the campus. But again, those things, whether it was for the gospel's sake or not, I don't know. But I know at that moment I received a love where I did not want to fight back. And I know um, it wasn't that I was afraid to fight. I had been in fights before, um, never lost a fight, <laughs> but never proud of any of my fights. But I, I had fought, and I did know how to fight. That wasn't the point. The point was there was a love from God and I experienced it and you too know that love that God has and so how are we more than conquerors by living the way Christ wants us to live now notice here it doesn't say you are gonna conquer it doesn't say that it says you are gonna be a conqueror through him who loved us folks you are gonna rule and reign with Christ there's gonna be a crown placed upon your head we are going to ride upon horses coming back to this earth for that millennial reign. But it's not because we were great conquerors. You're going to see that widow who gave herself to prayer and to the word and ministered to the saints, washing their feet. But she's going to be a great conqueror. Not because she was some great person on this earth. It's because she had that humble and contrite heart. She had that gentle spirit. David said in the Psalms, Thy gentleness has made me great. And I say to you that God's gentleness makes all of us great. And we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. 
so they can take us off as a lamb is done before a shear so they can take us off they can beat us they can make fun of us they can fire us they can do all kinds of harm against us but we will keep our integrity we will be honest we will be loving we will be kind we will be gentle they may be businesslike and fire us they may be mean and cruel and they may be just they may have it doesn't matter we are always the same if they're good to us we're good to them if they're harsh to us we are good to them if we are being treated harshly because we deserve it what glory is there to God but if we're being treated wrongfully and and we know it and they're still treating us harshly and we're innocent God knows God knows why this is happening. I don't know why, but God knows why this is happening. And in this, we just lay back and just take it and say, the Lord knows. God understands. I remember I got pulled over by this cop oh, a few years back over there on Highway 94. Highway Patrol. I was on the other side of the diesel, uh, this big giant diesel, and this cop pulled around. I, I assume that he thought I was speeding and came back. I, I wasn't. I was just driving along. The traffic itself kept everybody from, from speeding. But he picked me out and pulled me over. And, and the guy was just an absolute jerk. I mean, he yelled at me and treated me like dirt. And, uh, oh, I, I know you're speeding. I didn't clock you. I didn't catch you. But, you know, I was like, you know what? I, I've sped in my lifetime, definitely. I'm not the slowest driver I know. But I wasn't speeding right then. Did you have your seatbelt on? It was right after they made that, that law. I said, you know, I don't think I did. Well, I'm going to get you on that then. Okay, go ahead. Get me on that. But again, my flesh <laughs> was wanting to say, you know what? Take a hike. Give me the ticket. You got my driver's license. See you later, you know. I mean, you want to just say, you know what, just give me the ticket, you big jerk, or whatever. You want to say those type of things. But that's, you know, that what a witness, what a testimony, what an opportunity God has given us. To, then we're going to be one day conquerors, and not conquerors in violence, but conquerors in gentleness. And we'll come and rule and reign with our gentle Lord. And Paul says, I... Sure hope so that neither death nor life. Is that what your Bible says? No, I am persuaded. There is no lack of confidence in Paul whatsoever that death or life. Some of you may say, man, I wish I would have died the second after I got saved. Because I've been a not a very good Christian. I've tried, but I'm just not a very good Christian. We all feel that way. We all feel like, man, we need to do more for the Lord. But death, life, it, it doesn't matter. God's love for you is the same. Angels or principalities or powers, the demonic realm that's fighting against you, oppressing you, nor things present, nor things to come. Things presently you're struggling with, the future things you may struggle with, it doesn't matter. God's love is still there for you. Nor height, nor depth. I hope you've experienced the deepest times in your life, but maybe you'll experience a sickness that'll take you down to a depression you've never been at. Maybe you'll stumble into a sin that you never thought you would be in and take you down to a lower depth spiritually than you've ever been. Or maybe you'll be in a height that you'll never uh, think you've experienced. Maybe you'll be an astronaut. I don't know. Go to a height, or maybe you'll 
being a submarine and go to the depth. I don't know. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, health-wise, heights, depths, God is there and you will conquer no matter what difficulties may come upon you nor any other created thing, human being, your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, your dog, whatever, may drag you down, may depress you, may bum you out, may hinder you spiritually. None of these things are going to keep you where you're going to be reigning and ruling with Christ. So be able to separate us from that love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a very important preposition there, folks. In Christ Jesus. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Right now, this is so important. Christ sees you in him. He says in John 7, As I am in you, Father, and you are in me, that they may be in us in a perfect unity. What's that mean? That Christ would never sees you separate from himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said. Paul was in Christ. And when Paul was being persecuted, Christ was there with him being persecuted. Or the Christians were being persecuted by Paul. We are always in Christ. When Christ thinks of that great and glorious resurrection day, he wouldn't think of that day without you being there. That would be like saying, hey, we're going on a family vacation. And my son Tracy says, Dad, can I go? Please, please let me go. I, I wouldn't think of going on a family vacation without my family. Nor does Christ think of anything without you. If he sees himself there in heaven, he sees you there before the throne with him, the ten thousands of his saints. If he sees himself eating at that marriage supper of the Lamb, he would not think of eating one bite without you being there with him. Christ never sees you separated from him. Through his love, and as you are in him, you will experience Christ and his love for you. He doesn't just love you, he even likes you. God loves to hear your prayers. He loves everything about you. He knows every hair on your head how we need to be confident in that love. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that we understand his love for us. It tells us in 1 John. And then it says, and those who love God, the things of God are in a burden. So once we understand God's love for us, we're going to be overwhelmed with his love for us. We're going to want to love him back. And then all the things that he's told us to do with our life, we will do it because of the great love that we have for him because of the great love in which he's loved us. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And bless your saints, encourage your saints tonight through the understanding of the word. And we thank you, God, that whatever we go through as sheep, which we know is going to be some difficulties and hardships because this is such a dog-eat-dog world. Monk wolves, we are sheep. But yet you will bring us through. We trust in you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God.